Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie. Again, I am joined by Christine Elder, the wonderful wildlife artist that I um, that I interviewed last week, and I'm very honored and privileged to have her back. Um, last time we chatted about art and travel and nature journaling and all sorts of stuff we covered, but what we didn't cover was some of Christine's adventures. So this time we're going to um, concentrate more on some of the very cool places she's been to and, and some of the experiences that she'd had. So, Christine, thank you again for coming on Naturally Adventurous. Well, thanks, Charlie. I know you're no stranger to a travel adventures and mishaps, <laughs> having just oh, about yeah. burned down the lodge in uh, Africa, as yeah. you like to say. <laughs> One of my favorite yep. episodes in your podcast. I know a lot of people seem to like that. We were a little bit um, nervous about putting it up. We didn't want to sort of make ourselves feel... Uh, seem kind of incompetent or anything but uh, yeah these these things can happen to the best of us well those are the things you remember about a trip <laughs> right if everything goes yes. perfectly it's just kind of melds into all the other trips so yeah you yeah. remember the trips that have memorable experiences definitely so you, you not only have traveled extensively on your own, private trips, and I guess you travel with friends, but you also have led groups, guided groups, at several different places. You've done a lot in Central America, I believe. You've been to Borneo. So, yeah. Yes, I have. <laughs> so, we're going to chat about some of the places that you've been and some of the experiences. So, um, I've got a whole list of amazing sounding trips that you've done. So, we, we'll probably just dive straight in to some of these I think we'll... So you've done a lot in Central America, right? I guess you've been to Costa Rica? Yes, you know, Central America is quite close. It's just a plane trip away, <laughs> just a few hours uh -huh. away. So yeah, I've done a lot south of the border. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I love and Costa you've Rica, done... of course, like everyone does. Yeah, it's incredible. It's not only just amazing, you know, some places you could go to and you'll just see amazing birds, but Costa Rica just seems to have it all. You know, there's some cool mammals, there's... Um, there's amazing, um, like the things like um, po poison dart frogs and, um, oh, and yeah. reptiles, and yeah, I mean it's really a wonderful, like all-round nature destination. I love those dart frogs. I saw the strawberry dart frog this last time. The males were battling, and they were breeding, and oh uh, yeah, I just love amphibians. I'm kind of a general naturalist, so I like everything from cockroaches to giraffes. You know, whatever, whatever you're going to show me, I love it. So, uh, so, so yeah. you were so you were sketching these these little frogs, I guess. Oh yeah, they're so cute, and I was so amazed by how tiny they are. You know, because tiny, you see yeah. pictures of them and they're so brightly colored, yellows and blacks yeah. and all those warning colorations <laughs> like reds. And then you see them and they're the size of a large fingernail, right? Right. And, um, you know, they're down there on the forest floors battling it out, <laughs> just like, you know, two, you know, African lions on the savannah, right? <laughs> was this in a group or was just, were you on your own? Oh, well, the last time I was in Costa Rica, we just saw them. Actually, we were at the, um, I was volunteering at the Toucan Rescue Ranch, which uh, actually okay. focuses a lot on sloths, as you Brits uh -huh. like to call them. <laughs> and um, we were at their release site, and that was just a few months ago. Uh, yeah, and so... Right. And it would be so easy to miss something like that. And we were looking down at our feet and they're just quietly doing their thing. And that's their whole world. You know, they're battling between each other for the rights to a mate. And, uh, you know, that's as important to them as, you know, anything else in the world. Right. But they're just so tiny. Were there several of you like looking at these things? Yeah. I mean, I've seen dart frogs a lot of different times, but uh, yeah. it was the strawberry dart frog that we just recently yeah. saw. Um, and I'm not sure if they have a mating season, but it was right. uh, June. Yeah, this last June that I was down there. Um, was it kind of, did you just come across them or was it all planned and you went oh, to sort no, of go no, and no, no. look yeah. at those? You just came across them? Yeah, yeah. No, we were just hanging out on the property, just walking around right. looking I think we were actually looking for sloths because they were um, right had been reintroducing them to this certain uh habitat and uh right. the people I was with were trying to find them and 
so you know we were looking up in the trees but we were looking down because you don't want to not look down when you're in the rainforest because you can you know step on a snake <laughs> or some other uh thing you know <laughs> army ants I, i've got this kind of idea of what these kind of little trips must be like um for, for sketching but I, I i always kind of imagine some kind of setup like some feeders or or whatever but uh, it's it's cool to hear that you kind of just stumbling across stuff and just very kind of impromptu just kind of uh sketching it there well yeah and it's kind of like when you go out bird watching for the day you know you kind of have a plan and you kind of have a trail uh-huh. sure. but you're up uh-huh. for uh you know whatever whimsy there is that shows itself to you right <laughs> um and so you have to be open to that and I've worked my whole adult life as a naturalist and environmental educator. Uh So I'm always going very slowly and looking up and down and left and right and listening. And so, uh, you know, just trying to look for that, that tiny stuff. And, and, and I like those small critters. I love the amphibians. I I love insects. uh, And so I'm just always turning over leaves and, you know, turning over dead, um, you know, logs uh, on the ground and just looking for good habitat, micro habitats where something cool like a tiny little dart frog might be. And going out on night Um, hikes, which, of course, is so fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I remember in one of the um one of the workshops that i that i saw you, you, one of your pieces of advice was practice sitting in un- uncomfortable places <laughs> right when you're home <laughs> trying to get used to right. being on get used to a, on a sketching trip because you know you're right. hardly ever going to be sitting at a nice little picnic table like you might at your local county park you know exactly. looking at yeah. uh you know acorn woodpeckers and the oak trees right so um i do tell my students to practice kneeling practice right. uh yeah because often in the tropics you're not going to want to sit on some uh, tree that has fallen on the forest because there could be yeah. bullet ants, army ants, pit exactly. vipers, yeah. you know. So you can't just uh, sit down cross-legged like you might in your own backyard lawn, right? So, yeah, yeah, you definitely have to get used to being in awkward positions when you're trying to sketch, just like when you're trying to bird watch, right? You might be having to hike up a mountain to look for that. Yeah. Darned horned I mean, guan that I missed in yeah. Guatemala or something, you know. When you come across a little frog or something and you want to you want to sketch it, do you have to kind of squat down or sit on the ground or or how how do you position yourself to to sort of uh, see it? Right. So you're not sitting on the ground in the tropics. Yeah. Right. No. Uh, so yeah, you know, bending over and I mean, I'm always using my phone also, not, you know, only to catch video and get audio, um, still shots. So, you know, I definitely use my um, phone as a backup, but I love to just sketch behaviors as much as I can, too. Um, And like we mentioned um, previously, that sometimes I just want to watch something because it might not ever happen again. And you don't want to be looking at your sketchbook when you've got some lifer that flies off or runs off into the forest. Um, So I try to watch a behavior for as long as I can. If you're in a place and you have the, you know, you've got time, I guess you can often see a whole bunch of different behaviors and I, I remember seeing one of yours it might have been some sea lions or something like that but you you you, you pictured them all in different positions and it, it was just it, it's just a very cool thing to look at it all these different things in different positions those sketches were probably from the galapagos last year mm. and that is just the most magical thing about the galapagos is <laughs> like you feel like you're in the garden of eden and the animals are your friends right so sure. you're on the beach and this the galapagos sea lions are 20 feet away and they're just doing their thing just like the darwin's finches and those mockingbirds and iguanas and everybody else so you're really spoiled there and uh, yeah so I I love to just try to you know get every position they're in and some types of animals can have a lot more different positions than other animals (laughs) so you've mentioned these wonderful um, poison dart frogs you mentioned about an ant swarm on the last episode that you I I also see that you you put down feather lance did you were, were you like sketching that as well in the field 
Well, you know, the fertilance in Central America <laughs> is the most uh. the most frequently run into snake because they just are attracted to, you know, gardens and plantations and lodges right. that have leftover food or that might be a cacao plantation next to it where there's uh, uh, fruit and then the fruit brings the rodents and the rodents bring the snakes. <laughs> um, so uh, the last time I saw fertilance was quite by mistake when I was actually bending down to look at these tadpoles in a little pond <laughs> at the edge of the manicured garden of this lodge. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, good thing I wasn't sitting down or getting any closer because he kind of, he or she kind of slithered off and it was just such a quick moment. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I didn't even get a picture. But, uh, right. I knew it was that. It's so sometimes they can, fairy lance is one of these snakes that they just kind of sit, you know, it can be like even sat on a trail or whatever. This is, you know, like you were saying, you've got to look where you walk. But um, yeah, and there's always a danger that it might, you know, you might stand on it and, 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 and get right, bitten, but Right, because they're so mm. cryptic and they're attracted to the grain that is put on the ground often um, that the ah. agoutis like and the little uh, songbirds, uh, like what was that, the orange billed sparrow? Sparrows, something, yeah, yeah. All these little ground animals come to these feeders and the corn on the ground, and yeah. So yeah, you gotta be careful of those cryptically colored critters. (laughs) Have you sketched any kind of like venomous snakes and stuff? Only at serpentariums. So, so you know, I've been to one in Honduras where they brought the the snakes out, like the eyelash pit viper, and um, sure, a beautiful and put it on a beautiful uh, bromeliad. So that was a nice contrast uh, between the yellow form of the pit viper and the hot pink of the bromeliad. Yeah, most snakes I've seen in the wild kind of. Slithered off too quickly. Slithered, yeah, they often do. <laughs> so I just enjoy the moment, and if I'm lucky, I'll get yeah. some footage of it with my camera. And then I like to still sketch it afterwards because, again, like we sure. mentioned before, yeah. it's in the sketching that helps you notice, like the shape of that pit viper head or sure. the specific patterns on the the side yeah. that can be very similar between different snakes. So I, I was on a trip in uh, Namibia last year, and the local guide, he was very into snakes, and he had some friends that did snake captures in uh, in like people's houses, and then they, re- they release them in a safe place. Oh, fabulous. And they timed the release for when we were going to be passing through, and then we, all, we were all kind of taking pictures of these like deadly snakes. But there was something that was quite funny that, when we were looking through the camera lens at these at these snakes, you kind of started to lose your fear. They were like spitting cobras, and <laughs> and then looking looking through the and then some of them were like slithering towards us, you know. And and the the local guide was catching their tail and dragging them back. And, and I I was just curious, yeah, how it would work, kind of. Um, <laughs> oh, that like would get sketching. my heart beating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. I guess the nice thing about snakes and some frogs as well is is sometimes they will sit and and like they'll stay very still. Whereas a, a bird or a mammal is probably a little bit more, uh, like moving around a bit more. Well, yeah, and the more experience you have in the field and observing those type of animals, the more you know about when and where is the best time to sketch them. Like, for example, right. hummingbirds. Uh, you know, they move really quickly, but they do tend to go to a favorite perch between feeding bouts. Uh-huh. And they will go back and forth and back and forth, and they'll spend a lot of their time at that favorite perch. And that's the perch you need to find in your bins, and that's where you can sketch them sitting <laughs> still for five minutes between feeding bouts. And like the reptiles, you know, they're going to be out more on, you know, wet, humid nights. Um, and they'll be a little slower on colder nights and maybe easier to find and sketch because they can't slither away so quickly. So, you know, that's the wonderful thing about, uh, you know, observing animals as you 
and ones you actually want to sketch too is that you know learning about their behaviors um right either through the uh -huh. seasons or, or through the day um with the weather and that's gonna you know help you be able to find them and just like you as a birding guide you know the certain times of days and certain specific sure. micro habitats and yeah. uh, elevations in the canopy to look for that particular bird right and you can get it once you know where it is there it is and i guess in costa rica you you mentioned the quetzal did you did you see the resplendent quetzal there oh a whole bunch of them yeah really saw them at monteverde cloud forest yeah there's a reserve right next to it that was really easy to see them that's where i heard the bellbirds too and then in costa rica i saw them on the cloud forests uh, on the sides of several volcanoes and at Paraiso Quetzal Lodge, where they have yeah. a nice collaboration with local farmers that sure. um, yeah. save the farm edges and the avocados that the Quetzals feed on. And they'll collaborate with the guides to tell them when the birds are there. And because of that, they'll save their avocados and save the <laughs> habitat. So it's, it's a nice uh, collaboration there. But w were you able to like sketch them in the field? Yeah, yeah, several different yeah. species of quetzals. Also in um, Mindo, yeah, a couple of years ago, right. I, I really wanted to go to Mindo, Ecuador, which has right. won several times the uh, Christmas bird count, highest list number, right? right? So I sure. went there and I did a birding big sketching day, which is a thing for me. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, we saw... Um, I forgot the name of that other quetzal. Maybe a golden-headed... Yeah, 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 that's those, it, yeah. 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 yeah, I've got those mm -hmm. in my sketchbooks in the other my other room there. <laughs> so they sit for a long time, really quiet and cryptically. Yeah. But they're, they're resplendent, especially with its long tail. I guess that would be a lovely thing to sort of capture in the field at different positions and um, and the little kind of little spiky crest it's got and all the, the yeah. other yeah. And sometimes oh, things wonderful. that are so long and skinny like that, I'll do a uh -huh. small sketch of the whole body and then maybe a close-up right. of that beautiful head or a close-up right. of one long tail feather, you know, so you can get right. different parts, kind of like zooming in with your camera, right? <laughs> and make a little collage. Are you trying to capture a little bit of the, because often they're on branches that are kind of moss kind of hanging down and you're trying to get a little bit of it in The context? habitat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Uh -huh. um, they do live in those higher elevation cloud forests with all those cool epiphytes you know, on the branches, the bromeliads and orchids, and even, you know, the cactus. There's an epiphytic sure. cactus, which people yeah. don't realize. I guess, um, you know, when you see a picture of the resplendent quetzal, when you see it in the book, it's just this metallic green and bright red, and it's like really stands out. But when you get it in the habitat, the, the long kind of like curving tail, it kind of looks like moss hanging down from the branch, and especially when it turns its back, which they often do when people are there. You just see this green and they just melt into the habitat. Yeah. And, you know, you have to just develop your search image, as you know, as a guide. Mm. And the more you've seen yeah. something, uh, you know, the more you can recognize it. And, and uh, yeah, that's, and again, another wonderful thing about sketching things is it focuses your attention, you know, on, on that long enough to see those cryptically colored critters. Tell me more about this big day that you did, this, this sketching big day. I've never actually heard of that before. Well, I don't know. Maybe I invented it. But, you know, there's a lot of people that do birding big years. And, mm. you know, of course, you've uh, interviewed Tiffany. And yep. uh, so, yeah, I've read a few books. And, you know, we all know the books and the movies about the big years. And so I thought, well, why don't I do a birding big sketching day. Now, I think right. it would be really fun to do a burning big sketching year. Um, so I've right. done that in about three or four countries. I have that on my YouTube channel. Um, and so <laughs> I'll, I'll go out from, you know, dawn to dusk and I'll have a guide because I'm not an expert. I'm just a general naturalist <laughs> and bird lover. So I'll have a guide and they'll help me find the species and get in its scope. And my goal is to draw the bird enough so that the guide could identify it from the sketch. 
So it's going to be really, you know, it's going to be really loose and quick. But, you know, the field Uh marks, I have to have seen those field marks. And so it's just a personal Uh little contest I have with myself. (laughs) So often, uh, yes, see, I've done that in Belize and Costa Rica and Ecuador. Um, So, yeah, the the goal is just, you know, I'm a very competitive person <laughs> and I like to just compete really? with myself. And it gives uh-huh. me, again, something to focus on, something to do. And the guides think it's really fun because they've never had anyone do that before. They've probably never had that before. No, right? no. Uh, and they think it's kind of a fun contest. And, and it's not like I'm one of those people that says, I have this life list of five things I right. have to see today. Me, I'm just, sure. let's try to get on as many birds as we can that we can see pretty well for at least a few uh-huh. moments that I can sketch. <laughs> so it's a different kind of thing for them. And I, you know, I even did this a lot during the pandemic because I really wanted to, you know, help promote the lodges because so many sure. people were afraid to travel in the pandemic. And I did it a lot and I felt really comfortable. I took precautions. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of something that helped promote what I do as well as the lodges that I was doing these sketching big days at. <laughs> so I'm very curious. I, what, what kind of. How many? How many? You? Yeah. yeah. You, you want to know numbers, numbers, numbers. Well, I'm just curious how many, right. yeah, how yeah. many one could like do in a day. You know, it totally depends, and it really varied. I did, like, three in Belize in a two-week period, and it really varied. Costa Rica, Ecuador really varied. So it just depends on the conditions that day. Often, you know, it was, could be very rainy. Sure. But generally, you know, I think in general we would see maybe 50 to 75 species total, and I would usually probably get decent enough sketches of like at least half of those um maybe yeah and so i would usually fill up one or two sketchbooks in one day right (laughs) so like like towards 30 or over over 30 species sketched Mm -hmm. really yeah yeah i think at least yeah most of them i think i at least got 40 maybe I don't know and again these are just small sketches but they have to have the silhouette you know that would differentiate them from something else or or if it's you know like the tanagers in Ecuador that all look have the same silhouette I had to get the Uh field marks right um right and so that you know that mossy green one would look different than the (laughs) so this is probably a world record then I I don't know. Yeah, I should. I should You're probably uh, a world record holder. Yeah. I should get on the Guinness Book of World Records. You should. Yeah, I really yeah. want to do this more, and but you know, it is pretty really? intense. It sounds like a lot of fun. I can imagine it must be intense because even I'll do one bird a day, and 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 that kind of like wears me out. You know, I'm kind of tired after that. I need to. It is. It is very chill, tiring. I bring just, lots of yeah, snacks, <laughs> lots right. of coffee, and we're prepared for rain. I remember. Um, one thing I bring to prepare for rain to be able to sketch is a big uh-huh. plastic bag. You know the kind of bags when you buy like a bed comforter, and it's this yeah, kind like of three thick, dimensional, thick clear plastic. Cl- but yeah. kind of sturdy three dimensional bag with a zipper. Right. So uh-huh. I I got this idea to use that when I'm sketching out in the field <laughs> when it's raining. I can I can Which kind it of often does crouch in the, down. In the, in the I put my sketchbook in that mm. <laughs> on my lap when I'm sketching. <laughs> I do have a picture of that uh, in in Costa Rica. <laughs> I could share with you. Yeah, I actually I heard you talking about that. That's um, that's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, maybe it's going to become a thing. You'll be a uh, Sketching big day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you've done yeah, it's done some pretty cool stuff in in Central America. There's there's one location on here that you mentioned, which is Borneo, uh, which yeah. I've been to, I've been to a couple of times. Yeah, and and it's not just birds there. You've got some fascinating mammals. You've got some amazing plants and stuff like that. So so, what were some of your kind of highlights from from that trip? Right. I mean, it's a whole different flora and fauna and very little overlap here, right? Um, uh-huh. Now, 
I actually studied carnivorous plants for my master's degree in biology. So I was fascinated by the diversity (laughs) of the Nepenthes pitcher plants. Um, So there's something like 30 species and much of them are endemic. So, and of course, diversity of orchids and the, of course, the Rafflesia, which is the largest flower in the world. So... Did you see? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I saw a Rafflesia, really? Yeah. I've, never, I've still never seen one. I've spent so much time in Malaysia. I've never seen Rafflesia. Yeah, you know, well, they, they bloom when they want to. There was a Victorian naturalist, and he came up with the, the hypothesis that Rafflesia was pollinated by elephants. <laughs> And it was, you know, and it was, it was rubbished in the end. But he thought that the elephants like stood inside these flowers and then sort of walked through the forest and stood inside another one because they're like big enough for an elephant to fit their foot inside. They are. You're right. <laughs> I I actually studied pollination biology for my master's degree in oh, biology. Really? So I love that interaction of plants and their pollinators. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Borneo was just a whole other world for me because it was just a whole different continent. And there's so many interesting endemic species there. Of course, all the crazy insects like the beetles. I mean, just about any taxonomic group you think of has some uh, of its highest diversity there, right? And You mentioned cockroaches there. I guess the, um, you visited, is it the Gomontang Caves? Oh, Oh, God. Oh, that place is a nightmare. But uh, I mean, it was it was so amazing. But when I when I walked out of there, I was just kind of like freaked out (laughs) because you walk along this boardwalk and it's got handrails and it's a which you don't want to touch. No, because if you shine your light on there, you'll see those three-inch-long cockroaches. And and then underneath is all the guano that is produced by the bats. And then yeah. there's the swifts. And there's the changing of the shift at dawn and dusk where the bats and the swifts change places coming in and out of that cave. Uh-huh. And... Of course, the raptors are out there in the sky waiting for them. It's one of the creepiest places to visit. I think if you were like a little bit of a squeamish person, you didn't like creepy crawlies, this would be like your probably idea of hell, right? Right. But I love that stuff. But it still can give you a little <laughs> bit of a weebie-jeebies, you know, coming out of did you did you, do any, did you do any sketching, like... In, in, around there of any of these things or were you just looking? No, not that day. I mean, my favorite thing I sketched yeah. in Borneo was I got to see a Kalugo. And, right. you know, also uh-huh. known as the flying lemur and are not uh-huh. any way related to them. Nope. Um, they're in their totally own order. Um, and so I saw one at dusk waking up. Uh-huh. And so it was just kind of waking up and it wasn't dark enough to have the scope not work so we trained the scope on him i was able to do a whole painting of him before he or she actually woke up started crawling up to the top of the tree then it pooped almost on us and it (laughs) leapt into the air and glided to the next tree and oh you saw it fly yeah yeah and then we heard it sort of climbing up the next tree and that's how they get around Uh the entire forest but, of course, the trees yeah. have to be close enough to each other, just like squirrels uh, can't go from tree to tree, um, you know, in urban areas like where I live. The poor squirrel has to come yeah. down to the ground, cross the street, try not to get hit by a car, go up the next tree. <laughs> so, you know, habitat fragmentation, uh, you know, is an issue for those kind of arboreal animals. But I really yeah. loved sketching the Kalugo and then the proboscis monkeys, too. I saw your proboscis monkeys. And yeah. you, you did a whole bunch of sketches of those in all different positions. Yeah. Sort of nose from in profile and from the front. And yeah. And that was very difficult field conditions because we are on a right. rocky little boat on the river ah. and I get seasick just looking at water, <laughs> which is amazing because right. I got my bachelor's degree. I focused on marine biology (laughs) but uh, yeah i get pretty seasick and um so trying to have them stop the boat long enough for me to sketch 
the proboscis monkeys while the exhaust from the motor was wafting into my face and the boat oh. was rocking back and forth. <laughs> it was quite challenging. And, uh, but yeah, you know, you got to do it. Cause I, I guess you need, I mean, if you're just seeing them or, a fo or photographing them, you know, if you're going to try and get some sketches, you're obviously going to need like more time. So they were yeah and i'm often on sort of a different pace when i'm in a group right that's why i love to travel sure. alone <laughs> and right. i've, I've uh -huh. and i encourage women not to be afraid to do that with the proper precautions um and sure. that's why i like to model that behavior is um mm -hmm. that you know then you can go at your own pace you know you're not trying to follow your your friend or the group or your partner's desires to see some other types of critters and you can spend as long as you want. It's kind of like a different pace between your birding tours and the photography tours, right? Exactly. Very yeah, different sure. pace. Yeah. yeah. I guess one of when you're in a group, I mean, there's nice things about being in a group as well. You got that sort of camaraderie and 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 support and um, and advice. And um, I can imagine like sketching. It would be quite nice just to see what everybody else has come up with, and maybe gives you some ideas or you know. Oh, right. I mean, like if it was a yeah. sketching tour, but, you know, if you're yeah. on a tour with other types of people or a birding oh, tour. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get sometimes a little bit frustrated if I want a bird. And, you, you know, we've in tropical birding, we started we, we've always done birding tours and we started doing photography tours. But a lot of birders, they they want to take photos as well, but they don't want to spend all day just getting photographing right. a few things. They want right. to see a lot of birds and photographs. So we, right. we started doing these kind of middle middle ground tours which were birding with a camera which is what i'm going to be leading uh, my, my next tour but I, I guess you know it all depends how long you're spending with your subject so i guess when you're on a, a journaling trip you, you need that extra time just to sort of be able to get things down right yeah that's why i like to just do my own thing and have my own guide own or, pace. or just going sure. out on my own hike and I actually meet a lot more people that way when I'm, right. you know, back at the lodge or, or yeah. other parts of my trip than I would if I was with a group or a partner. So it's very freeing. Yeah. And I really encourage women to, to try to explore more travel on their own because it's a lot more accessible and safer than you think it is with the proper precautions, sure. just like traveling yeah. during COVID. Just you take your precautions and there's tons <laughs> of rewards. So I guess in Borneo, another one of the very cool things are, are hornbills, but I, you don't always get super close to them. So how did you go about kind of sketching hornbills in the field? Right. <laughs> you know, just try to get lucky. Um, and right. yeah, you know, they were usually just kind of flying by. <laughs> of course, they were right. quite wary because they are hunted for their casks and for, um, uh -huh. you know, it's. Uh, but yeah, the hornbill diversity there is incredible. Just like the woodpeckers the too. Yeah. Um, uh. So yeah, they're very very special. And yeah, I'd love to get more of a chance to see more of them. But most of my sketches of them were, you know, going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just hearing them too, just like those Bornean yeah. gibbons. Just hearing them yes. calling in the forest just gives me shivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, I, I guess I, I saw you a lot like using a scope. Um, so do you do you travel with a scope yourself? I personally don't have a scope, so usually my 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 guide or a lodge will have right. scopes. Uh -huh. You know, I just can't. I already have so many art supplies to travel with and I don't sure. have a budget for the kind of scope I want. Um, and yeah, like I said, guides usually have them anyway. So I'd rather just have But I, I saw you several times, those pictures of you, yeah. like like looking into a scope yeah. and then sketching right. something out. So I right. guess it it does, it, it sort of expands the 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 possibilities of yeah. um, of what you can, of what you can sketch, right? But not a whole lot because, you know, it's pretty right. hard to, especially when you're trying to do forest birding and, you know, it's it's not easy to get that scope set up that quickly. You know? sure. I used to try yeah. to do that. And, um, you know, you you get something quick enough to identify it, but not really long enough to um, get uh. a good sketch of it. And sometimes 
you know, if we can get it in the scope, I'll take a photo with my camera right. set next uh -huh. to it. You know, digiscoping, as they call that. Right. <laughs> and I've gotten pretty yeah. good at holding my cell phone up to my own binoculars and getting a good really? picture, too, which takes a lot of practice. Um, but, yeah, I, I think kind of, this, you know, traveling with your own scope and tripod isn't necessarily worth it because... Yeah, so many of the right. lodges and your guides that you can hire have Tend really have high yeah. quality Swarovski ones often. Yeah. I mean, you had this beautiful picture of the ornate hawk eagle, which you saw nesting, I guess. Yes. But I guess you, you, you sketched that through the scope, right? Right, right, right. The, yeah. Those were quite far away, and we were uh -huh. the guide was very excited to see them nesting again because they had <laughs> um, a chick had fallen out of the nest the year before, and guides saw it, and they were able to get a rescue group to rescue it, and that bird was then raised and fledged, I think, successfully from the rescue group. So the, the guys were happy to see this same pair nesting again at that same location sure. this last year yeah. in, in Belize. Yeah, so those are really handsome birds. <laughs> I was looking at some of the, the pictures that you sent me, and, and um, I was going through, and my son was looking as well, and he really focused in on on that ornate hockey he's like what is that you know he just it just he was like oh my god i really want to see that bird i mean it's such a beautiful raptor with this long crest and these kind of beautiful kind of orange color down the side of its neck and it's um, quite just absolutely stunning yes yes yeah. i love that head and, and often not and often not an easy bird to see i mean i don't know almost like a harpy I'm eagle even... right <laughs> which exactly. i have not had yeah. the, the chance to right. see yet but Beautiful face, yeah, stunning bird. I know as well. See, so you've, you've you've done sort of. Uh, I know you went to Tandayapa, um, which is um, yeah owned by Tropical Birding. Yes. Um, I guess you were Love doing it. all the hummingbirds and tanagers. Yep. Wonderful place. You've also been to Peru, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mostly, yeah, around uh, Cusco and then up into Manu National uh -huh. Park and down into the Madre de Dios River Basin of the. Upper Amazon, I guess you'd call it the Upper Upper Amazon River Basin, but there's a series uh -huh. of, of lodges along that river, and um, some of them uh, are really focused on research, like Los Amigos Biological Lab. So I really love right. spending most of my time when I can at these um, research labs because I just feel comfortable there because I have a biology right. background, and you know sure. you got a lot of young students and everybody's out there <laughs> in the field studying and mo they're really motivated and it's a very different feel than kind of a upscale birding lodge, right? <laughs> it's kind of fun sure. and sometimes they have presentations by the researchers that are there. Like I remember them giving talks on and they were studying yeah, uh, a flag what do they call the some kind of foot waving frog or flag <laughs> flag footed frog and these dung beetles right. that were about the size of golf balls and uh yeah so i i love going to research um stations like that like los amigos biological lab that was a very I, special I saw place you, you mentioned some stuff like um, like giant river otters. Did you see uh, them there? Right yes, there? yes, several times taking um, boats right. into those oxbow, uh -huh. you know, back rivers, and then also the um, the the canopy towers. You can get up and right. above, and you can look down into those oxbow lakes. And yeah, we, I mean, and those guys are pretty endangered, but they're giant, like the name suggests. Like, and they like, have this like beautiful long, white, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and the beautiful white breast. And we saw them just tearing into some big old fish. <laughs> So. Did you manage to sketch those in the in the, no. in the field, or was it too? No. It was too fleeting, eh? Yeah, yeah. So you know, a lot of times I'm just caught up in the moment, and or it's raining, right. or. <laughs> but yeah, those were so. Pretty how special. do you how do you balance your? I mean, like, like if there's somebody that's like really into photography, they'll just be trying to photograph everything, and and they'll let the they'll let the just looking at stuff and and whatever kind of slide by. They're just focusing on it. But you you seem to like combine your your passion of birding and actually just seeing things with actually like sketching i mean how, how do you balance that if, if you have an opportunity to sketch you sketch or right if you like, just want yeah um in that area as with a lot of areas there are these cliffs that are clay 
um, uh-huh. and, the, the, and all the parrots and macaws and parakeets come and, and get the minerals from those. They call them clay licks, right? And uh-huh. so we did visit uh, a place that had this amazing, uh, you know, covered wooden canopy um, with, with, uh, so you could sit there and it wasn't raining on you and, and, uh-huh. and there were benches and a little ledge. So when I'm, when I'm out on a trip, I try to seek out places like that where I can chill for right. a while that are a bit uh-huh. more comfortable where you can sit and there might be a, a ledge or a table, um, and some cover from the rain, so that you 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 so you try to take advantage of, of those opportunities as much as you can. But you know, I, I love just right. observing things as much as I do sketching them. So I don't put pressure on myself. And and right. you know, often you'll see, you know, you'll see something one day that's not in a in a good situation to sketch, and then another day uh-huh. you'll see it in a better situation. If you're if you're at a, a burning blind or you know one of those other covered protected areas i must say christine you've got an extremely healthy attitude towards uh nature travel because you know some some people put you know you know what i think about photography often it used to be that you used to look at something special and then it would make you happy you're like yes you know i've seen a harpy eagle i've seen this now i often find myself showing people amazing things and they see it really well and they try and take a picture and the, the, the camera's on the wrong setting they, it doesn't quite work, you know, and then they're kind of annoyed, you know, they, they've they've lost that joy. They should be feeling joy at, at seeing something amazing. Yeah. And, if, um, and yeah. something happens and, they, and then they, they, they end up with this frustration and annoyance and, and they're unhappy about it. So that's something very unhealthy that I think um, that some people that do nature photography do. But you seem to have a very healthy attitude, like way of, of combining your like just seeing things and enjoying seeing things with sketching as well. So that that's something I very much respect. Well, the sketching is very low tech too. So I, I can right. imagine I would get stressed out if I tried to have a camera with a million different settings and things yeah. were fogging up and, you know, wrong lens. And, you know, I just, yeah, that's a, a wrong energy for me to have yeah. um, out there. I just, you know, it's enough for me to try to keep my journal paper dry you know <laughs> there is complexity in sketching as well you know you've got to have your, your pencil sharpened and you've got like say so you've got to keep things dry and and you were saying like your your paint sometimes go moldy and so there's a whole bunch of things that you do very well um that that somebody that maybe is not so experienced might mess up you know they'll get there they'll go out with one pencil and and uh, and one pad and it'll get wet and the pencil will snap whatever you know there's still potential frustrations with with uh, sketching as well I guess yeah well anything you do the more you do it the the better you get the more you exactly and it's a it's a journey just like our life is a journey we get yeah better at everything for a while until we so, don't <laughs> sure but did you, you you did you like sketch these parrots of the claylicks yeah I did it's in yeah. The other room over there, yeah. <laughs> I would say maybe forward forward me something a bit later on because I'd love to see that. Because I, I guess you've got so many different positions and parrots hanging upside down and interacting with each other. It must be a wonderful. Um, yeah, setting. and they were nesting too in um, in really? these uh, you know snags. The the scarlet we saw the scarlet macaws in some nests. Yeah, yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, my my journals end up being filled with the things I've seen the most frequently, right? And then sometimes sure, right. I'll I'll start a, a journal page and then, you know, the critter will slither off or fly off and then maybe the next day I'll see that same species. So I might go back to that uh, same page uh, and keep working on it. So, right. you know, it ends up that, you know, a page might look a lot better more finished than you think it could <laughs> because it's right. from several different days, uh, right. you know, observations. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. oh, that's very cool. Um, another place I see you've been is the Galapagos. And, and I guess the cool thing about the Galapagos is everything is so close. A lot of things are close, you know, and the, everything seems to have like no fear. So I, I actually had somebody that I met there that wasn't a birder or a naturalist. And they said, why is there so much wildlife here and I was like well th- there's no more wildlife here than anywhere else it's just easier to see you know it, 
you know, people that are not used to using binoculars and scopes and, and looking right. for stuff, you know, right. might think that they'll go somewhere and there's no nature there. But of course, there's always nature wherever you go. But uh, yeah, that's the thing that really struck me in the Galapagos is everything is so close and um, and accessible. So I guess that must really lend itself to sort of nature sketching. Yeah, I mean, for anybody like me who's a biologist, you know, I mean, we grew up reading Charles Darwin, and I used to actually yeah. teach high school and college biology in another life. And so I was teaching my students all about Darwin. And so, you know, you just have to go there if, if, if uh, you have that background. It's just... You know, it's almost like a pilgrimage. Isn't it is. It, for, it is. Like yeah, a, that's it's right. Like the, it's like a me mecca for, for it naturalists. is. It is. So mm. sure. Yeah, everything is very tame. Um, but, you know, it's been decimated and it's still bouncing back from sure. over 500 yeah. years of heavy hunting, like of the tortoises that they packed onto the ships and <laughs> let them slowly yeah. starve to death while they continued on with their nine month journey because they could keep eating the tortoise that's sitting there exactly. on the deck months later so yeah the galapagos are still trying to recover from all of that collection yeah. for hundreds of years so yeah it is the tameness that's amazing we mentioned briefly your, your your study of the sea lions in all in all different like um, positions and stuff which i really really enjoyed um i guess you also um you saw the nesting albatross there right the waved albatross oh yes yes I do have a video of that <laughs> on my uh, Facebook page, and right. um, and we did get really good, close, long-term looks. Um, and yeah, it's just amazing. Some of those islands have so many species that are all taking up any kind of rock. You know, we had the other uh, boobies and other albatross all trying to do their own thing and their different little yeah. microhabitat, whether it was on the on the sand on the beach or it was sitting in a in a shrub or on top of a little boulder. You know, every species had their little microhabitat that they wanted to display on and. And uh, yeah, that was just a really amazing uh, experience. I, I know on one of your workshops, you were you were showing uh, one of your videos that you you took of these waved albatrosses like courting. You know, they were sky pointing and and, and clacking bills and stuff like that. It was just amazing. And I, I, I remember now I mentioned in the last podcast that you were saying to cert, to focus on certain parts, like focus on the head, you know, the head's what's moving then focus on the head because the body and I, and I remember right. you could draw like one the, picture of yeah. the body and don't yeah. bother drawing 20 pictures of the body if the head's the, sure. moving the most draw one body and then get your sketches of the head doing all those really fun behaviors yeah. that you know because those birds are so happy to see each other again that they've survived another <laughs> year they're reunited yeah. on Española yeah. Island after thousands of miles in, uh, at sea for 10 months or whatever and, uh, you know, I'd be happy, too. And I'd have some ritualistic courtship <laughs> mating behaviors. So, yeah, it's, it was that's amazing that the head shape of those birds is so bizarre. It's like it's almost like a square like bulb. They look almost like an alien or something. Like yeah. That. And they have they're, these they're, funny the little eyebrows. Yeah. That give them a lot of personality. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, one of the things I think one of the. The things I find very attractive about the idea of, of nature sketching is that you, you spend that extra time in the field looking at stuff. And I think you probably see a lot of cool stuff that you might miss if you were just having a quick look or getting a few photos. You know, you must see a lot more behavior and stuff going on. Well, like noticing um, the boobies. I think it was the blue-footed booby that nests on the sand and the red-footed booby uh -huh. that nests in the shrubbery just two feet above it but they always right. are in one of those two places and maybe you wouldn't uh -huh. notice it you know if you weren't sitting there really looking at them and sketching them sure. <laughs> and they and they kind of i guess they they use their blue feet they do this kind of like lifting lifting one foot at a time and they're sort of swaying from side to side and kind of showing off like i, I remember when i was on the galapagos there was one doing this and he kind of lost his balance. I think he sort of lifted one foot up and he kind of the, the little stone underneath his other foot gave way and he kind of <laughs> he kind of tripped over. Oh, how embarrassing. And then it was about and he and he looked actually looked embarrassed. He Do kind you of think like, a bird can be like, embarrassed? 
I, I don't know. He was kind of like writing himself and sort of ruffling his feathers and stuff before he continued. But yeah. I said, yeah, maybe he, he did look embarrassed. But get, capturing those kind of um, different positions and behaviours, I think, would be uh, would just be a. It, it's just a very charming part of that whole, um, yeah, that sort of journaling process. Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah, it's it's fun to have those really fresh, quick sketches that show that. And so you're not trying to yeah. get uh, a field guide picture where they're just standing there stiffly and you can right. see all their field marks. It's it's uh, those it's those kind of blurry, quick movements that make it look uh, real fun and, and fresh and alive because, you know, you're trying to bring your viewer along with you on that trip and, and try to feel that excitement you have and that immediacy, uh, right? <laughs> I've, I've got it. Can I just tell you a quick story? Um, I, I just came back from Australia and the very last thing we saw um, in Tasmania were these little penguins, these little fairy penguins. And we were at a, a colony at night and they'd sort of just come in and we would just sat very quietly and we were walking back to the vehicle and on these steps going up towards the, the sort of gate to the, the sanctuary, there was two penguins there and they were stood there and we were only allowed to use red lights and I had the red light on them and I had about six people behind me all, all looking at this little penguin and these two penguins started mating like, <laughs> right in front of us. And these little tiny penguins and we watched the whole thing at about like like 10 feet away. Did you feel um, like you were going to, should have averted your eyes? We, yeah, it was like, you know, very much get kind a room, of intruding on it. Yeah, get a room. But it was just very, I felt kind of very privileged to to watch this behavior and really happy that we weren't disturbing them and they felt kind of relaxed enough to to do this behavior in, in, in front of us. But um, yeah, I, I find the whole idea of just spending a little bit more time and just kind of watching stuff and capturing it Really, really charming. Very, very attractive um, uh, thing to to what to what you do. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why I love working with kids too because they're so used to just consuming information, you know, through their devices. Mm. They're not used to putting something down on paper and being there in the moment and really observing it. So I was heartened when you said your son Felix was interested in looking at my sketches and, and the bird, yeah. the beauty of the bird. And, and that's really my favorite age group right there that um, right. is, you know, knows enough about nature to be interested in learning more and has a hand-eye coordination to want to try to draw something and capture its likeness. And in doing so, you know, you learn so much more about its behavior and you appreciate it more and then you want to conserve it more, right? So, so yeah, many sure. people, not your kind of child, but, you know, a lot of kids where I travel, they don't know because obviously they don't have optics or they don't have family members that show them how special and unique and endemic the animals are in their environment and that they should try to protect them if they can. But if they've never seen them and they don't know about them, they're not going to care about them or preserve them. So I love sharing that with kids and um, yeah, just getting instilling that conservation ethic in them through that fun process <laughs> of the nature yeah. journaling. I, I try, I've got it written down that I that I want to chat about about kids and art. So often when I was painting or drawing, my my son would suddenly feel like the urge to do it as well. So I'll go to the art shop and he also wants to buy some art supplies. So I, we try and encourage our son with doing art as well. And I was I think I was painting some birds of paradise and he started doing it as well. And he he did some of these um, little pictures and. And they really have become some of our, mo our most like treasured things that he's done. You know, these beautiful nice. little pictures with just wonderful. My son gets very frustrated with himself. So he's 10 years old now. He's, he's right. frustrated that he's, he's not able to, to draw and paint more realistically. Yeah. And so many people think that that should just be intrinsic. But... Just like yeah. riding a bike or learning how to read and write, you know, it takes practice. But people have this idea, and teachers do also, that, um, uh -huh. you know, they might tell a kid, oh, you know, your older sister has the art talent in the family, yeah. right? You oh, know, and dear, so no. that is a <laughs> very horrible. critical age where kids can just yeah. give up on themselves 
and that's when you really want to emphasize just to push through it to enjoy the process enjoy you know adding you know written descriptions or diagrams right. or maps and not making it all about pretty picture art right so i'm, I'm glad he's it, trying it, to push through that <laughs> yeah but the thing is th there's something about the way kids see things you know but like drawing something through a kid's eyes it's not special because it's realistic it's special because they see it. this is the way they see it and once they go beyond childhood they they lose that so this this kind of period where kids are capturing things through their own eyes and and um, expressing something it i think is there's something very special about it and people often when they see a kid's drawing even though it's not you know it's not realistic it's you know it's childlike um, there's something really special about that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're encouraging him. And he sees you modeling that too. Yeah, but then he, he, he often, he looks at my work and then he'll get frustrated at its own, his own that it's not as realistic. And I'm trying to tell him that this, this is how he sees it. It doesn't have to be realistic. It can be, it's how he sees it. And And I think the wonderful thing about art is that it's not, good or bad or correct or incorrect it's just it's your art and it's as unique it as your own fingerprints it's exactly yeah so we really try and encourage him and say what he, and find validity in what he's done and encourage him with that and um yeah but sometimes he you know he does feel that, that he's, he's not good enough or whatever so i think that's a challenge is is being able to encourage kids to, to find their own little path and, and yeah. be happy with what they, they come up with. Yeah, not to compare themselves and just enjoy yeah. enjoying the process and not the product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that's something that you mentioned quite a few times in in the videos that I've seen is that, yeah, it's the, it's the process, it's the journey that's, mm -hmm. that's important rather with what you come up with, yeah. Just like him becoming a better birder and, and watching exactly. and you and learning yeah. and it doesn't happen all at once, you know. There was another thing that you've mentioned, which was sketching underwater. <laughs> this, this, is, this, this is another one of the things that really blew my mind. You, you showed a picture and you said, you know, you can get underwater like materials, you know. Um, yeah. I, how, how, does, how does that work? You know, actually, I have to be truthful. I have not done uh -huh. that personally. <laughs> right. Um, I do know a gal that does that, and I could send you right. her link. But, you know, there are certain, like, tablets sort of that are like uh -huh. a um, a clipboard that they are stiff mm. um, and certain kinds of waterproof pens that you can draw with. Right. But I get very seasick, like I've mentioned right, before. Right. So I would not be good at that. So I have to observe something underwater, take pictures of it, or observe it take for a long time. time. Later, yeah. Like when I was, uh, I was on a, a liveaboard dive boat trip in the Turks and Caicos Islands once, right. and I spent an entire tank of oxygen just at about thirty feet, hovering motionless, you know, uh, neutral buoyancy, watching this um, uh, cleaning station. Uh, and, right. You know, you might not know what this is, but maybe if you've watched the movie Finding Nemo, <laughs> where right. the little fish are in the dentist's office and there's the little French guy who's the cleaner rasp, no, the cleaving shrimp, remember him? And he's cleaning uh -huh. everything in the aquarium. So... You know, there's certain places where the fish come to get their parasites cleaned, just like you can drive your car to a car wash, right? And so I spent an entire tank of oxygen watching and trying to memorize these giant right. groupers. I think they were like Nassau groupers that are maybe uh -huh. three feet long. And they get neutral, just like I was. And they open up their mouth, and they open up their gills, and open up their fins. And they let those cleaner asses go to work, just like the dental you know, hygienist does when you go to get yeah. your teeth cleaned. And they get in there and get all those parasites. And um, this is very, um, uh, you know, I just love watching animal behaviors, commensalism, symbiosis, things. I just came back from the Great Barrier Reef, and and I'm also not great. I get seasick. I'm I'm not 100% comfortable underwater, but I was really getting into that underwater zone. But I I get kind of frustrated down there that I can't 
identify everything. That's that's what I always want to do is I just want to know what everything's called and, and whatever. So I just having a little underwater sketch thing is something that I might think about in the future. Listen, Christine, I, I'm, 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 I'm using up way too much of your time here. Yeah, I just realized I just looked. I just looked at the time, how long we've been chatting. So I think we better call it a day today. But I tell you, I've, I've really, really enjoyed these last two episodes that we've done. It's It's been really amazing. We've chatted about so many cool stuff. We chatted about your art, about your experiences. So it's been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> and we didn't even get to all the travel mishaps. <laughs> we'll exactly. have to chat about no, those over a beer someday if we ever meet. Definitely, definitely. But I... I think it's now on my bucket list to come traveling with you one day and do some sketching Woo-hoo. together because it's really, it's really got my brain racing about it. Something that I really want to pursue in the future. So, so thanks for inspiring me with my art. Thanks for sharing your stories and all your incredible experience. And thanks for the wonderful covers that you've been doing on our books. Um, we're going to put all the links on the trip description. So I really strongly recommend people to to visit your website and all the stuff that you have up there. So Fabulous. Thanks, thanks so much, Charlie. So much it's been a pleasure. On. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> to sign out, we're going to put another natural sound. I think we're going to use the waved albatross from Galapagos that, uh, that you captured so beautifully. So that will be our natural sound. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.